Hello, and welcome to episode 196 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Amanda F., Inga M., and Jessica F. to The Modern Manager membership. Just a quick note that I will be doing a book giveaway on Instagram. On Friday, April 1st, I'll share a post announcing the details. So if you want to get in on that, be sure you are following me on Instagram at MamieKS. Now, today's guest is Michael Delman. Michael is the CEO of Beyond Booksmart and WorkSmart Coaching. He is an author, executive function coach, and school founder, and his career has been centered on three decades of helping people become more effective. Michael and I talk about the four groups of executive functioning skills, how these show up in the workplace, what you can do to better perform in your role, and how to better engage with your team using executive functioning strategies. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. I am really excited for this topic because I am newly a student to executive functioning, and I'm really excited to talk with you and learn from you today. Yeah, I'm I'm excited too, Mamie. This is great. Really fun to get to talk to you. Yeah, and I, I feel like I've learned a lot about executive functioning through my children and thinking about this topic as a parent. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to shift and I get to think about it with you from a workplace space. So why don't you start by telling us what is executive functioning and how does it show up in the workplace? So executive functioning in its essence are the skills of self-management. In the workplace, we talk a lot about great managers, but there's a more important manager even than your own manager, and that's yourself. Because every minute of the day when the manager isn't there with you, talking to you, guiding you, advising you, you're there guiding yourself, advising yourself, reflecting on what you know. So executive function skills in a nutshell are skills of, you could call them cops in a way, there's a a little abbreviation. You can calm yourself. Can you get organized? Can you prioritize and plan? Can you start stuff and stay focused? So those would be the kind of the basic skills of executive functioning. Oh, I love that acronym of COPS. I feel like that just organizes these skills in a way that's very, very, very clear and memorable. Can we go into each one of those a little bit more? And because I'm imagining that there's like for each one of those, there's probably like hundreds of little components to them. Yeah. And, uh, and, and hundreds of stories. So just if we start with, with the COM part, when we're operating at the workplace, really anywhere, we're using two different brains. There's the kind of reptilian or primitive brain. This is the, you know, there's a a fight or flight aspect to our lives and that's called the amygdala. And then there's the part that's thinking and planning and organizing, getting things done. And that's called the prefrontal cortex. And what's known in the neuroscience world as um, the amygdala hijacking the prefrontal cortex essentially means that when you are at work and your boss gives you a deadline, a demand, a decision that you don't like, something that's going to make life scary or hard, you might lose the ability to think or even to speak in that moment. And so what happens is you can't be your best self. So the very first skill 
of executive functioning is to be able to self-regulate, to manage your emotions, your impulses, your moods. And so there's a whole body of literature out there, dozens and dozens of tools for how to be better with managing your emotions. So do you want to talk about that a little more? Do you want me to move on to the next kind of the next section? No, let's stay with this for a second. So maybe, you know, what are some of the common tools that adults could use to to stay calm in those moments and to to not let your feather feathers get ruffled? And I was actually talking with someone in a group coaching call the other day who said, I totally lost my crap in this meeting at my boss. And I, I yep. didn't want to do it. I walked out and was like, oh, my gosh, why did no. I do that? <laughs> well, it's funny because you kind of hit on two distinct aspects to being your best self, being calm, being focused and all that. The first is the preparation. And the second is kind of the execution or implementation. So the preparation part comes with, you know, if you've read books like Crucial Conversations, how to get, you know, getting to yes, all those kinds of books, what they're about is being really clear on what your values are, what the goal is of the meeting, staying focused on that, not getting pulled quickly or easily off track. Uh, you see it with really good politicians who annoy the heck out of us, where they just, no matter what they get asked, they just give the same answer regardless. In a, in a sense, they're actually onto something. And it's something that we can bring into our professional lives, which is on the good side of it, being laser focused, being on point having your message. So that's kind of the preparation aspect of it. Then there's the execution aspect. Now the execution is a little different because when you try to execute anything, it's what they say about warfare, right? All plans go out the window the moment you get on the battlefield. So when you're actually there with your boss, and by the way, vice versa, when you're there with your direct report, who might say something that gets under your skin, you need to be able to stay essentially well-regulated is, is the way we put it, even though things are being said that you, you naturally are going to get distracted by and naturally going to throw you off course. So you build the habits, you, you prepare well with your game plan, but then you also need these, these skills, for example, being able to do a, a internal focus on your breathing, uh, something called five finger breathing, where you trace your hand in a very calming, regulated way, you know, breathe in as you go up the finger, breathe out as you go down, you know, the pinky, and then breathe in as you go up the fourth finger and so on. These are little methods, little tips and tricks so that whatever's going on, you might simply try refocusing. That example that you gave, another example is you're on the phone with a really annoying relative and they're giving you an earful. You just put the phone away from your ear. We all, we, I think we all know that trick, but at work, you have to be able to do it when you're being seen on video or in person and you need to be able to calm yourself down. So those are a couple of, couple of tools and tricks for being prepared and then managing yourself, even when things kind of go a little bit sideways. I love all of those tricks. And I'm thinking back to a time where I was, I was doing something without even knowing that I was doing it, which was when I was listening to someone complain about something and it was really starting to like, I was getting all prickly. And in my head, I was just like, this doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. It was just like a, a little mantra that I had on repeat in my brain. And it just really like kept me present 
without getting so like, you know, so out of whack. Yeah. Well, you know, so that's actually, I'll just say this. That's another executive function skill. You used kind of the mantra, used the self-regulation, but you also did an intellectual trick there. You used what's called cognitive flexibility. So you were able to zoom out from the moment and to look down at this situation and go, yeah, no, I'm not, I am not going to get caught up in all the little details here and arguing about something that's in the end, eh, I can, I'll, I'll survive. And so the moment you did that, you, you re-regulated, you re-engaged that prefrontal cortex. So you were back from a thinking perspective instead of a reacting perspective. It's really, I mean, it's really amazing that we can do that. So cool. Okay. Let's move on from the C to the O. Mm. So, you know, so you're calm, right? And, and, you know, you're in a managerial position. You've got a lot of things you need to get done. Before you can get them done, you really need to be organized. And within acronyms, there are acronyms within them. So, so for organized, a nice little acronym to use is STOP. STOP can be used for many acronyms. The one that I like here is space, time, objects, and people. So first off, am I in a good space? Is this the right space for me to be working? Is it neat enough? Is it organized? Am I distracted by 12 bird feeders outside my window? They make it very difficult to focus. Am I distracted by colleagues that think it's always okay to interrupt, et cetera? So that's your space. Your time, second object or second aspect of stop, your time is, am I putting aside the right amount of time? Have I dedicated time to what this task requires? So you know, if you've only given yourself five or 10, 15 minutes for something that's going to need much longer, guess what? Now we're back to calm because you, you've already set yourself up for an anxious moment. So you need to have adequate time. I think this is very difficult because we always feel drawn to the urgent and we don't always think about the important, you know, back to the Covey quadrants or Eisenhower matrix. But you know, we need to not just get caught in the urgent. We need to make time for the important. And the best way to do that is to block out a kind of a chunk of time that's bigger than you need. So if you think you only need 15 minutes, put aside at least 30 and, and put that on your calendar. If your company has a shared Google calendar and that way everyone can see, oh, well, Mamie's busy. I better not bother her. <laughs> and you may not need that full half hour, but give yourself that. So that's time. Third part is objects. And that really has to do with having everything that you need, you know, everything in its place, a place for everything, all that, so that you're not getting up to, oh, now I got to get this. I got to get that because that's going to kill your momentum. So your objects, having it all there to start. And also with objects, not having the objects, like keeping far from you the things that are going to distract you. So if an iPad distracts you, don't have that. If it's your phone and you've got notifications on, turn off the notifications. So those kinds of things. So it's really about having your objects that you want and not having the objects that you don't want. And then the fourth part, the people part, is just acknowledging the reality that of almost any task that we have, we may get stuck if it's something significant. So who is it that I would go to? It's not always your manager. It's not always your boss. It might be a particular colleague. It frankly could be a website. But where would you go 
if you needed help on the task that you've dedicated this time for in the space that you know is the right space with the objects that you need. So that's organized. Space, time, objects, and people. That I'm still like wrapping my brain around this because it's not something I've ever thought about so logically, but mm. also feels like like there are so many components of that that interrupt our workflow. Yes. Right? Like it's exactly what you're saying that if you're trying to be effective, you're trying to like be efficient with your time, that if you're not prepared across all four of those, that you're it's almost like you're setting yourself up to have a bumpy ride of it. Yeah, it's kind of an unfortunate thing that you kind of, I mean, any one of these is necessary, but not sufficient. You really need kind of all of these things to be going well. Otherwise, you end up down the uh, the email rabbit hole or you end up with, you know, whatever, check, checking not just emails, but notifications, social media, et cetera. And um, those things may be fine breaks if you've planned them out. Well, that actually segues over to the next, the next one, which is prioritize and plan. It's okay. Uh, so this is, you know, the P part of the cops. It's okay to plan out breaks. In fact, it's necessary. I mean, most of us don't work that well beyond 45 minutes or so of real focused attention. So you really want to have those breaks established and breaks that are good breaks that refresh you, rejuvenate you. So when you're planning, you definitely want to plan out the time, but you also want to plan out when will I not do this? You know, what, or when will I take those breaks? I don't know if that's a, a helpful start into that, you know, if that's a good segue, or if you'd like to hear more about kind of the big picture of planning and prioritizing. Well, let's go up to the big picture and then we'll zoom back down. So so give me the, the high level view of planning prioritization. So when we're talking about prioritizing and planning, we really want to begin with what is the most important thing for me to get done today? And that's going to be informed by your weekly goals. It's going to be informed by your monthly, quarterly, et cetera. But if you don't know what is the one thing today, and we sometimes call it the one big thing, <laughs> what is my one big thing for today? If you know what that is, then at the end of the day, even though you may not have completed every object on your to-do list and checked everything off and, you know, you've still, at the end of the day, you can say, this was a really good day. I got that one thing done because the truth is your inbox, there's always going to be another email coming in. You know, there's always something else, but if you got that one big thing done, so it really does require asking yourself on a daily basis, what's the most important thing that I can do today? And, and naming that and writing it down. You can put it on a sticky on your laptop or next to it. You can, you know, put it on an app. I have an app where I keep that, but really being focused on, on that. Then you can plan your day around your priority rather than, you know, your priority may be getting to it or not, depending on how the day happens to go for you. I, so I have that practice also where I have like, these are my must do's for today. Yes. And then these are all the things I would like to do if yep. I have time. And I, I hear a lot of people ask questions around like, well, how do I know what those priorities are? Like, how do I get to make sure that I'm doing the most important things when there's just so many things that feel so important? Yeah. There are two kind of metrics to use on this, two questions to ask. The first is, What's the biggest kink in the hose right now for my company 
me, my team, whatever it is. So, you know, if, if you know what the kink in the hose is and where the big problem is that if that were resolved, everybody would be more efficient. Your, you know, your department, your team, your company would be much better. That's where you want to be putting your time really every day, making sure you've got meaningful time on that one big thing, the kink in the hose. Another way to do it is ROI, right? So what's the return on investment? So of course, that big kink in the hose is probably the thing that's going to give you the best return on your, on your time invested. But you can take a higher level view and say, let me just, let me look through these one, two, three, four things that are competing priorities. I need to evaluate them in some fashion. So it's not clear which one's the kink in the hose. So, you know, you can do uh, like um, cost of delay analysis is one way. You know, if I delayed doing these, what would be the cost to the company? Which one would have the biggest cost? You can do, you know, kind of a SWOT analysis, you know, what the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. There are many different frames for this and there's not one right way, but for me, it always comes back to, and this is me sitting in my CEO seat, what's the kink in the hose for my company right now? For example, we had a problem with my company with friction. Friction is one of the worst ways to lose customers. So the specific thing was we were asking too much of our, of our customers. And even though, you know, we were like, well, should we, is it a price problem? Is it a quality issue? I'm like, no, price is right. People aren't complaining about that. The quality of the product, people are only giving us good net promoter scores. It's not that. What is it? And then, you know, we realized there was a, a point of friction for the customer. And that point was we were asking them to make a 16-week minimum commitment with not having done anything other than an introductory conversation um, with a salesperson. And that was too much for many people. So we removed that barrier. We said, as long as you tell us why you're leaving, we will not hold you to that 16 weeks. We just want to know why. So that let us get information about the customer, you know, kind of patterns. And it also let us ease up on, on a point of friction that was getting in the way. So until we solved that problem, our sales numbers were kind of flat-ish. I mean, they were growing, but they weren't growing at the rate that I knew that they could. As soon as we released that, we saw um, a massive uptick in sales, you know, so that kind of thing. So it sounds like you prioritized your time around solving that problem because that was the biggest problem. That was the problem. Within your purview. Yeah. So that's the prioritization aspect. You've got to know you don't want to spend your time equally among seven different tasks. You want to put most of your time into one or two things that are going to drive value for your company and your team. All right, let's talk a little bit about the planning piece really briefly because I don't want to lose, I don't want to run out of time yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But I know this is another point where I've heard people get really frustrated with their colleagues who can't seem to like lay out a project plan or mm -hmm. like identify all the steps along the path. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, just, you know, I, I think when you're doing planning, the tools are already out there. Everyone knows to plan backwards, right? It's not, it's not a mystery. Everyone knows the basic ideas of planning. Project planning involves what's your goal? How much time do you have? What are the steps? How do we sequence the steps? You know, how do we map them out? So it, it, it it's that the problem is execution. And so, um, 
well, there are two two potential problems, maybe. The first would be not everyone's in agreement with the plan and what the goals are. So you need to bring people on board. You got to be clear as a team about all those things. And you need to communicate that very clearly to the team and make sure that uh, confusions are resolved. But let's say that the team's on the same page, everyone agrees. The execution of it often has to do with people really not understanding what's their role, what are the deadlines for them, all of that. So the basic thing for teams getting things done well, have everything in a very, very visible place. So for my teams at WorkSmart, we do every dyad, every triad, every group has a shared Google Doc. That's what we use. It's It may sound very simple, but it works. So if I'm working directly with, say, you know, just the president, we have our own agenda. It's a shared agenda. We have color-coded action items with due dates for everything. If the two of us have a separate meeting, say with another director, that also has its own shared agenda. So everybody knows what's expected of them. And Items are crossed off when they're done. It's satisfying to see my, my items are always green. I have a very bright, almost uh, obnoxious color green. And I can see my greens are crossed off. And if the person at the meeting, if their blue, light blue items are not crossed off, well, we're going to look at that. We're going to talk about that. So having a very clear kind of assignment and that everyone sees what's due and what's due when. But the mystery of, of backwards planning, the only places people go wrong there is because their executive function skills aren't great at time estimates or because they don't start things when they should. And that really is kind of the fourth element of, of COPS is starting and staying focused. And that, you know, we know people don't start because they're not calm because they don't know what to do. They're confused because they find the thing a little boring and there's something else that's bright and shiny and they go for that instead. So they lose sight of the priorities. So those, those, you know, we need to get them past that with the right tools for getting, you know, getting started when they would otherwise delay. Well, let's talk more about that because procrastination is like always a topic, right? It's always something of, you know, People always wait till the last second and like, mm-hmm. how do I get my team members to like get on top of this? And, and I don't want to have to remind them 17 times. So talk more about what are some of the, the ways that, you know, if we know for ourselves, oh, we're one of those people that procrastinates or we have a team member who's always procrastinating. What are some of the things we can do to help kind of get those things going sure. a little better? Well, obviously it's never you and me. We would never procrastinate, but let's say theoretically that we did. There are two two aspects to it, whether it's for yourself or others. The first is obviously distraction management, right? So that is back. It's a little bit back to the organization, the whole space-time objects, people piece. Get those things that are likely to distract out of the way and have the dedicated time. So you've already, half the battle is already won simply by being organized well. Let's get to the, the the challenge now, but I don't want to, okay? So there's something called the Yerkes-Dodson graph. It's a bell curve. And on the left side of it is the emotion of I'm bored. I just don't want to do this. I have no energy for it. And on the right side of it, on the bell curve is I'm freaking out. I can't go near this thing. I, I'm terrified of it. But in the middle, at the top of the bell curve is peak performance, sometimes called the peak arousal chart, because the truth is 
there's an amount of stress that's good for us. There's an amount of stress that gets you motivated and gets you excited and gets you totally at your best. So everyone who's uh, uh, competes in sports or in theater or in music or anywhere else knows that there's a place where you've got the right stress, you've got the right excitement. The way you get there is, well, it depends which side of the curve you're on. So if you're on the board side, you need to get yourself motivated by making this feel a little more threatening and scary. And the way you can do that is you can give yourself what's called the five-minute challenge. The five-minute challenge is you put a stopwatch in front of yourself, and it's actually it's a countdown timer, and you set it for five minutes, and you look at it and start it, and you see the time ticking away. You can give it 10 minutes or 15, but five is fine. And you watch the time draining away, and that tells you, I've got to get this thing done. What happens? Well, you don't completely freak out. You're not all amygdala. You're still prefrontal cortex, but you're a little bit edgy. And that little bit edgy gets you to move. You feel a bit of a rush. And that rush helps you rush. It helps you move. There's a reason why that word is used in both senses. So you're more moving up along that kind of that performance place. So that's what you need to do. On the other hand, if you're on the other side where you're super anxious and you don't even feel like you can start because this thing seems too big, well, you do the five-minute challenge, but you do it in a very different way. You use a stopwatch and you say, I'm just going to go for five minutes and see what I can do. I'm not going to finish. It's okay. And you talk to yourself in a nice, calm way. And then you set the stopwatch, go. You don't look at it. You put it upside down. Unlike the board person who's looking at it the whole time and it's upside down and you just go, all right, what could I do for what will probably be about five minutes? Well, I'll open up a blank document. All right. Well, that was scary. I'll put a title on it. The title is preparing to meet with Mamie today. Okay. And then I'll brainstorm a couple ideas. Hmm. Okay, well, here's a thought. And before you know it, you've been going for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and it's not scary anymore. In fact, you've got momentum. So in either case, you're likely to drive yourself closer to your peak performance because you started. You, you overcame your boredom or you overcame your anxiety or your stress. And now you're on it. And then the only thing you have to do after that is stay focused and know when's the right time to take a break. And when you're about to take a break, don't just go to your break because you're going to want to come back. Jot down what's the next thing you'll do when you come back. So we call that next steps. And you jot that one down. And that will get you to be able to come back without having to face that boredom or anxiety all over again. Is that helpful? Oh, my gosh. This is fantastic. I love these strategies. All right. I want to shift gears here a little bit and just talk for a minute about what do you see that managers can do when they notice that a colleague is really struggling on any of these fronts? Like, how do you have a con? Do you have a conversation with someone about like what you're seeing? Do you offer them some strategies? Do you like just what's the best way, or what are some of the different ways yeah, yeah. that managers can go about helping their colleagues who are struggling? Yeah, I mean, I, I I probably begin with three strategies. The first is knock before entering. You are their boss. You can have a conversation with them literally anytime that you insist. 
but it may not be the best time. So choose your timing by asking, hey, you know, I, I want to chat with you about something. Is this a good time or would it be better to talk maybe end of the day? I just need you for about 15 minutes or so. And now they may feel anxious, like, oh, what's it about? That's probably the most likely response. Say, I just have a strategy I want to share with you, something I figured out recently. And that might not be playing all your cards, showing all your cards, but it's enough for them to re-regulate, re-engage the prefrontal cortex. Because if you want to meet with them, you're, that might make them nervous. They, are they being fired, et cetera? So give them a choice though. Knock before entering. Hey, is this a good time to talk? They say, sure. Or they say, uh, I'm I, it's kind of stressed right now. Could we meet at the end of the day? Whatever. So that's strategy one, knock before entering. Strategy two is simply to empathize through normalizing. So em empathize with normalize, right? So you want to meet with them and say, listen, you know, you're in your fourth month with the company. And I find that a lot of people about this time, they start to kind of realize, hmm, I've kind of got some of this down, but there are some sticking points that are making things harder for me. I'm wondering if you've started to notice any of those challenges yet. That's an, so when, in other words, you've placed their situation in the normal category. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not a bad egg in Willy Wonka's factory. They're a good egg and they're going to be okay. So now again, they can relax. You're just having a normal conversation about employee development. So yeah, you're being very honest, very direct but you're framing it in a way that lets them not feel edgy and, and anxious. So now they're like, oh, okay, yeah, great. So, you know, wonder if there are any things that you've noticed that, that are going well for you. Let them have that. Let them have a moment in the sun. They do. Then you say, great, any things you've noticed that maybe you could work on because it's so much better if it comes from them. By the way, anyone here who's not only a manager, but a parent is really good to do with your kids too. <laughs> yeah. You know, let them name it because then you're not playing the heavy. You're not directing it. But if they don't get it, say, that's great. You know, you've really, you know, you, you're getting some of this. I, I'd like to share with you something I've observed for you to just think about a little bit. And they say, okay. And then you bring it up. You know, I've noticed sometimes when you come to meetings that you don't take notes. And I'm just wondering if, if you maybe have a reason for that. Like, uh, it's harder for me to focus if I, if I take notes. Ah, okay. Now you can have a conversation with them because there are probably five to 15 good solutions to that challenge. But you were wondering, why are they not taking notes in meetings? It, it, it's something that concerns you or they're not hitting deadlines or whatever the issue is, but you, you can bring it up. So knock before entering, empathize, normalize, and try to try to draw it out of them if you can, because that's that's more empowering. You're building their own competency then. And maybe just if I may, one other executive function skill that we didn't really get too much into is self-awareness and what's called metacognition. So knowing what you're good at and what you're bad at, we want to develop that in our staff because they just get so much more effective when they don't need us to point out every little thing and we get more done. Oh my gosh, you said so many good things there that I want to I want to jump on all of them. So one that I just want to hone in on is this idea of framing in the way like I've noticed this. Tell me mm -hmm. more about it. Or yes. you know, I was curious, you know, it was curious to me that you weren't doing this or that you were yes. doing this. You know, yeah. tell me why. Yeah. And and so often I feel like we make assumptions 
Mm -hmm. And we have a solution in mind as -hmm. opposed to coming in and saying, this surprises me. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me, have you thought about this? Why have you done this? Why aren't you doing this? And letting them help us understand so that we can then partner with them to find the right solution, not necessarily our solution. Yeah, I love the way you said that, because the the truth is, as a coach, and you know, you know this from, from your work as well, that if we come in with a predefined answer to everything, then either we're in the rare chance that we're right, we've still disempowered the person in the very likely scenario that we don't have the full picture. Well, not only did we disempower them, but we didn't get a chance to understand the situation better. We're not really going to come up with the most effective and and important solution. So probably we as managers in that situation, we've gotten caught up in the urgent task of solving, you know, the problem, hammering that nail, if you will, instead of, hey, the more important issue, which is understanding what's going on, because it may be that we don't just need a hammer, you know, and everything's a nail. We need to look at what are the various things that we need to do here and what's the bigger picture. So we do have a huge opportunity every time we have a conversation and particularly at those critical moments when someone's struggling a bit, you know what? It could be that it's not even them. I mean, simple example, we had a sales problem one time where our inside sales people were just not making enough calls. And the question, you know, that we were asking was, well, maybe they're on the phone for too long with people, but we really like to be empathic. We really love when people call and when they tell us about their, you know, their problems and we want to get into it and we don't want to shortchange that. Well, it turns out that, Asking them to make shorter calls, which was going to be the solution, was a terrible idea. We asked them, you know, it seems like it's difficult to make all the calls and, you know, to get back to customers quickly enough. Any thoughts on that? You know, are are you observing that too? And and the salespeople said, yeah, we are. But do you want to know why? You know, obviously we did. And they said, well, the, the problem is we're getting some unqualified leads. Do you think someone else could do that? And we said, huh, yeah, we could have someone qualify them before they get to our top salespeople. And they said, by the way, while we've got your ear, there's a lot of paperwork that we're doing. And it's not that we don't love our paperwork, but is it possible that someone else could do, you know, the paperwork, maybe someone who doesn't even cost the company as much and we could close more deals for you. Guess what? We hired that person to do the paperwork. And they love having that job and we're way more productive. So we have people that vet some of these calls earlier on, you know, higher up on the funnel. We've got someone that's doing the paperwork on the back end that's saving these people time. So our inside sales team, they're way more productive again. So if we had come in with, we know the solution and it's got to be this, yeah, we, we might've missed that. So having those conversations, the way that you suggested and the way that I recommended That's why coaching is so like meaningful and powerful is, you know, you're approaching it, not just with here's the answer, but what do you think you might be able to do for yourself? And managers can be coaches too. Awesome. All right. We have to wrap up here. So Michael, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? Well, I I did have some great managers, but the best manager that I have ever worked with is actually the one who is my president and reports to me. Rachel is someone that magically combines 
a deep caring for the people and a deep caring for the organization. And she never compromises on either. When we were building our company's core values, and one of them is kindness, she said, you are kind to others and you're kind to yourself and you never compromise one for the other. So understanding that is huge. But she's got that balance that great managers have of being able to understand the needs of each kind of each department, each each person, and yet able to help them understand the greater good. And that is an amazing thing is when they willingly, people willingly change their mind when they talk to her because she helps them see the bigger picture. And I, I just, I've never met anyone that does it better than she does. Uh, I literally will change my mind when she manages up, which is me as CEO. She gets me to see the bigger picture when I sometimes come in with something that uh, I'm, I'm not seeing all the variables. So I, I think that that is just a remarkable thing when you can get people to see that their self-interest and the interest of the company are actually aligned. Beautiful. She sounds amazing. And she where is. can people uh, keep up with you and learn more about your work? Sure. Well, you know, there are three places. The first is if they want one-to-one coaching and that's something in their in their future, worksmartcoaching.com is for that. If they're looking for help for their kids beyond book smart is, you know, that's our, our flagship for, uh, for families. And if they want to learn more about institutional coaching for say, you know, a whole company or a whole school, they can reach out to me directly at mdelman at beyondbooksmart.com. And that will get to me. And I, I, I really am amazed by your interview. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us today. Yeah, what a pleasure. Thank you. I just loved that conversation. And Michael is offering $100 off their executive functioning coaching membership or a staff training engagement. This guest bonus is available to members at the Sprout level and above. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com join. And if you work for a government or nonprofit agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. That includes one-on-one coaching with me, our group calls, guest bonuses, and episode guides, and so much more. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.